Gua sobro. Ai. <laughs> There's not a rule that you have to use the two subs. He's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Hello everyone, we're back and everything's been happening. That's the thing. It feels funny to say. It feels like it wasn't that long ago since we had our last episode, just eight days in the real world, but we're back with three games to talk about. Some good, some less good, but anyways, welcome back everyone to the 162nd episode of the third sub podcast. This sirens rain down over me here in the background. Maybe that's fitting for the Vancouver Whitecaps because certainly the sirens rained on their CONCACAF Champions League campaign, although in MLS, things trending in the right direction, but we'll dive into all that. I'm your co-host, Alexander Gungay Bruzik, joined as always by Samuel Rowan. Um, I mean, Sam, first of all, how's it going in the real world? We had a bit of a, a good long weekend, took time off uh, from, from soccer. We're both in the same place, actually, for the, for, for the first time in a while, so that was nice. Yeah, some were calling it the the third sub corporate retreat. Uh, I, I'm here in Nova <laughs> Scotia, and, and Alex Alex was here over the long weekend, so that was great. Got to got to hang out a little bit, see what the Atlantic Coast had to offer. Uh, but yeah, speaking of the Whitecaps, obviously two Champions League matchups since we were last on the show. Needless to say, those didn't go terribly well. But a big win for the Whitecaps in MLS play against Portland. So, like always with the Whitecaps, you know, it's a bag of mixed results, right? There's some reasons to feel really confident. There's some reasons to feel a little bit dismayed. We're going to dive into both Champions League and MLS form, things we've seen from those past three matches, and, uh, and also some thoughts, I guess, about this team going forward now that uh, one of the positives – coming out of the last week is that at least the the schedule is clear going forward, right? They just, they got have to focus on MLS play. They're going to have Canadian championship to deal with, but you know, it's kind of one hurdle out of the way and uh, they're sitting in, uh, whether it's a real playoff spot or a fake playoff spot, they're, they're in a playoff spot at the moment, eighth in the West, which is, I think uh, we were talking about it right before the show. When you look, this year and last year at the way teams in the Champions League have struggled with their MLS form, the Whitecaps have actually done okay. So um, that's that's not a, a blanket blessing on everything that's happened with the Whitecaps so far this season, but I, I think they're in an okay place. So, Yeah, I mean, we're going to try to do our best to just dive into the nuance that is this team right now, just because it's like there's so much good and so much bad to kind of declutter because – some of it's actually good and you should be like, okay, this is actually good. Like, don't forget this, but that some of it's also genuinely bad. You're like, okay, maybe you shouldn't forget about that. And yeah, I mean, just looking at the Champions League game, that's also a case where there's a bit of good and there's a bit of bad. I think on one side, if you're going to be optimistic, this isn't a bad thing. Like LAFC is a really freaking good team <laughs> to, to put it mildly. I mean, you just look at their front three, you look at their midfield, you look across their roster, like they are just, they're, you know, when they're on, they're just pattering teams right now. Like, this is kind of what they do. Like, Dennis Buonga is, you know, two feet right now or about as hot as any feet in MLS. And then, for good measure, the Whitecaps 
kept him a bit quiet almost in the second leg other than the fact that he won a penalty. And they're like, oh, yeah, there's that that Carlos Vela guy who some might know is, is pretty decent at soccer, you know, having won an MLS Cup, having been an MLS MVP uh, before. So it's one of those where it's not bad to lose to LFC, but then again, 6-0 on aggregate is rough. Like it's, you know, it's, it's just for context, like on paper it doesn't seem terrible. Yes, 3-0, 3-0, like those score lines happen. I went back all the way to 2013 and I got tired. No team that has played another team from the same league across two legs in Champions League has ever lost that bad. The only time there's ever been defeats of that nature, it's usually when you've got a team from like, you know, El Salvador or something like that, or a team from Jamaica taking on a team from Liga MX or, you know, a team from MLS. There hasn't been a result like that between two leagues. And I think that's the scary part because LAFC is in the same league as, as Vancouver. Um, they're, you know, they're teams that are going to be competing. And it was just scary, I guess, in a sense, across the two legs, how just not close it really was. But on the flip side, it also was on the, the Whitecaps doing. Like, they didn't necessarily put out the lineups that, you know, maybe they should have for a team like LAFC. Certainly what it showed was certain players are, you know, that maybe aren't at the level to compete with the LAFCs. Not saying the whole team is, but it certainly shows that, they're, you know, the Whitecaps top end of the roster, you could argue, can compete with LAFCs. Like, you know, when they're at their best, your Kubases, your Gressels, your Golds, your Whites. But all of a sudden, you know, there's some other guys on the bottom end of the roster. You're wondering, like, okay, maybe the Whitecaps don't quite realize what's going on there. I think that just kind of sums up with the team. Like, I think things, it feels like things on, on a certain level are doing fine. Like, guys, some of your top players are playing while you're getting results in MLS, but also... There are some key worries that that popped up in this LAFC tie. And I mean, that just the way they lost kind of shows that. Yeah, well, shout out to uh, Opta statistics. So the only larger margin of victory in a two-legged affair between two MLS teams was Toronto um, 7-0 over NYCFC in the 2016 Eastern Semi. So obviously that's not... CONCACAF Champions League that's in MLS play but um, yeah just goes to show that between MLS teams that kind of margin not happening very often Um, and I mean the thing for me in in the second leg the Cifuentes goal is just such a perfect example right that's that's a guy who's been riding the bench in LA most of the season and it's just it's hard to compete with that kind of depth when you know, no offense to the Whitecaps, but you have Russell Tybert, Christian Dahomey in your starting lineup, right? Like that's that's just going to be difficult to match that. And uh, obviously a bit of that is down to coaching as well. And, and should those guys have been starting uh, these matches. But ultimately, I think, yeah, LAFC is a team that pretty much everyone in the continent is going to have difficulty with right now. So uh, the result itself, not that disappointing. The uh, the way they went about it, maybe some some things to pick at. So, Alex, I guess we're gonna we're gonna kind of mesh both of these matches together. They they have the same score Felt line, the same. the same end result. But let's dive into a little bit. I mean, one of the things we could talk about from the first matchup was, I guess, the nature of how it ended up being three nil. Because uh, I think you look back on on the first leg and probably have a very different feeling than the second. The second, they deserved to lose 3-0, and it was over in the 60th minute. Whereas I think the first leg, it was a bit frustrating because actually the Whitecaps played decently for the first 45 and were certainly pretty competitive 
and, and then, you know, things start to, to, to run away from you. And uh, in particular, you know, two goals um, against Yoyi Takaoka, where you can kind of look and go, oh, well, maybe on an ideal day where you're able to get a result, those are saves the keeper's able to make. Uh, but obviously at the same time, uh, Dennis Boanga just absolutely on fire right now. So uh, his, his shots have been difficult to stop no matter who you are in goal. But I think that is a, is a talking point. It was probably the first match um, Yoi Takaoka as a member of the Whitecaps where he was a, a significant question mark. And, and it, it did really flip the tie from being somewhat competitive into a, a massive mountain to climb for Vancouver. Yeah, and I mean, the first leg is a good place to start, so just so much to unpack. Now that I'm thinking about it, maybe we can ask ourselves a question. Maybe Vanny Sartini's staff just, they didn't get the memo from CONCACAF about the schedule change. Maybe they had the original one because, reminder, the Whitecaps were supposed to play the first leg away, second leg at home, and, you know, then it got switched due to venue availability. Seems like in the first leg they played like the first leg was still on the road in their mind, and I think that was the big kicker because if you're, look, if you're playing LAFC, and you play them away in the first leg, okay, you go, you put 11 behind the ball, you, you pray, you go, and then you go home, and then you, you do whatever damage control, or if you got a nil-nil, you're laughing, and maybe you can get something. The fact that they played the way they did in the first first half, really, was the big one of the first leg at home, that was a bit puzzling, because it just felt like you know the trip around down to L.A. is going to be tough no matter what. And, like, the fact, like, you know, even in the second leg, like, the fact they went there and LAFC did put out a relatively strong team, the Whitecaps rotate a little, more, little bit more, yet the result was the exact same. It really shows that it felt like that first leg is really where they just, they shot themselves in the foot for no reason because, yeah, one, you know, I, I think was 3-0 in the first leg fair? Probably not, just because there's two of those goals where you think, okay, maybe, you know, the Whitecaps did get a bit, unlucky so to speak in terms of just how they overall played but at the same time it's one of those where you almost kind of deserve it for the way you just come out it's first leg it's at home this is your chance to get goals you've typically beat lafc at home uh, this isn't like the problem is being at beating lafc at home go out and play with the little just take the game with you know take the game to them because it was just one of those where you're sitting deep against Vela Buanga. It feels like almost a matter of time until one of them just like wakes up and does something. And that's what happened. Buanga is like, okay, let me just shoot from 25 yards and something happened. And that was just frustrating because you can see that coming. This isn't something where LAFC is like, you know, some mystery team and you don't know any about them. So you're almost respecting them. You know what LAFC is. And they did exactly what many worried, which is they're just going to take over the game. They're going to lurk. And then it's just going to be too big of a hole. Uh, to go into in the first in the second leg at least if you went out in the first leg swinging and you missed a couple swings you can be like okay at least we tried we you know it's it's one of those where it's like in a boxing match right like you're you're going up against you know one of these these big heavyweights who can just knock you out with any you know any punch it's one of those where yeah you can run around <laughs> you can run around the ring at a certain point he's gonna catch you and it's, it's good night right and it's one of those where at least go out swing and try something catch him with a couple body shots and the white caps didn't do any of that and it was kind of one of those where the takaoka moments for example you mentioned him and it's a good spot it feels like those got amplified because there's just this pressure on him and the defense to just be so perfect with this approach and it was one of those where against a team like lafc that wasn't gonna always happen like they they you know, if it was another team, maybe, but against LAFC, big ask. 
Yeah, I think there's there's two possible ways to to play these two legged matches, right? You can um, try to segment it and, uh, and and almost like shorten the tie, which the Whitecaps could have done if they'd gone out guns blazing in the first match at home. You basically, yeah, you you try to land a knockout blow, and then obviously because of the quality of LAFC, it turns into a two legged affair. Because if you go up two one, three two at home, well now it's competitive in the second leg and you can, you can play tactically and, and maybe, maybe sit 12 guys, you know, uh, 11 guys behind the ball, try to sneak a, an extra one out there, but um, you know, try to try to play tactically in the second leg based on what you've been able to do. But um, I, yeah, it felt very much like it, in the opener at home, the white caps plan was to hold on for 180 plus minutes against possibly the best team in the continent. And it's just, uh, not only is that not the way the Whitecaps like to play, but it's just a, it's an impossible task. Right. And so, yeah, I Carl think you're Robinson. Well, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, Seattle, Seattle in the playoffs, exactly. right. Where it's, we're going to just hold on for dear life for 180 plus minutes that, and no matter how good your team is, that rarely works, no right. You have, you have to show some ambition. And so I think that was really disappointing really across two legs too, is that the, the lineup choice was confusing in that sense where, uh, you know, you played Ryan Gold in the second leg, you played Julian Gressel in the second 45 of the second leg, but at the same time you were very cautious and Russell Tybert got starts, Christian Dahomey got starts um, over guys like Pedro Vite. And uh, you just, yeah, you wonder where that, that ambition was to really go and, uh, you know, kind of show show LAFC the the appropriate respect by uh understanding that you had to be ambitious and you had to take some risk right you can't you can't beat a team this good without taking some risks leaving yourself vulnerable and then weirdly they did that in the second leg where they put Ali Ahmed and Ryan Raposo on islands and asked them to defend an impossible task so yeah it just felt like the approach overall was was super inconsistent and they sort of they took a risk when they shouldn't have taken risks and they and they lacked the risk taking where they probably could have afforded to be a little bit more ambitious so i i think ultimately you know does that does that translate or change this uh tie into a white caps victory probably not but could it have been two one or three two on aggregate if the white caps had taken a better approach i i think that's totally realistic yeah, but I think also what's frustrating is, again, the approach, like you mentioned, because you lose 6-0. Again, we mentioned this doesn't happen very often, yada, yada. It's also frustrating because the Whitecaps, for the most part, played what, for them, is their best team for a good chunk of it, or a lot of their best players, and that's the approach. Because it's something where it's like, okay, if you went screwed and rotated your team, you got battered. Okay, well, at least you can say your focus was on MLS. At least if you threw out a bunch of kids and you lose 6-0, okay, at least this was just you know a bit of a baptism by fire for the kids. This is scary because it was like you put out a lot of your regulars. Like this is something where if you're playing LAFC in a playoff game, you can look that could happen with this weird uh, you know, playoff format. It's something where it's a bit terrifying. So like if this is what you think the best players are, and this is what it's happening when you go up against LAFC. But I guess in that regard, I mean, if we've been kind of talking uh, you know about it over the last few weeks. This is something where the first leg and even the second leg in particular it wasn't great auditions for someone like a Russell Tybert for a Christian Dahomey because 
it's kind of telling that, you know, for the most part, you look at the team they threw out in the first leg, which Takoka and goal, Raposo, Blackman, Veselinovic, Brown, Dahomey, Tybert, Kubas, Gressel, Gold, and then White. I mean, for the most part, that's been a lot of the first team starters we've seen over the, the course of the year. And the fact that, you know, Dahomey and Tybert weren't there on the weekend, they absolutely batter Montreal. You wondered if they were going to build off that. Then the, really the only changes they made were bringing in those two. And, you know, you see that difference as well. I mean, it's something where that, that you know, going forward, you do wonder how, if that, how, how that will affect their ability to get future starts. I mean, it's just little things like that. You, you see it shows up over the course of that, that first leg in particular. And yeah, you go in the, the second leg and how, how things went for certain options. It's something where you're like, okay, maybe there's some, you know, Vancouver's going to have to evaluate the way they view certain, you know, certain players in certain roles, not positions, but roles. So it because it felt like they were asking a lot there and it showed. Yeah. I, I mean, that's been the consistent theme so far this season, right. In terms of the white cap struggles for me, it's all been around, uh, putting players in strange roles, you know, roles where maybe their, their attributes aren't uh, best highlighted. And again, I think it's just against the team this good that that becomes even more amplified because they're going to exploit and pinpoint every little weakness you have as a team. So you're not going to, you're not going to get away with Ryan Raposo playing his off side at fullback because they're going to key in on that immediately. Um, you know, even, even like Ali Ahmed is great going forward, but they leave space at the back. Uh, Javane Brown obviously has the ability to play at center back, but he's not done a lot of that this season. So uh, again, that's just asking a ton of uh, someone who yes, has, has some experience. And um, you know, if you're playing Portland or you're playing Montreal, maybe that's something you can get away with, but um, just, just puzzling. It does feel a bit like Vanny from from week to week, yeah, match to match is kind of making it up as he goes. And there's not a lot of, uh, I mean, there, there's been continuity in terms of shape, in terms of just overall shape. They they've been relatively consistent, but how the players fit within those roles has varied massively. And uh, I, I think you can almost run down the list, right? You look at. Um, you look at Ryan Raposo to some extent. You look at Matias Laborda. You look at Christian Dahomey. You look at Pedro Vite. Um, Ali Ahmed even asked to play different positions. But none of those guys, I have a sense of what their like permanent best position within this team is. And that's that's really frustrating because um, if, if you want to be, we talk about kind of top four in the West team, right? That, that's the ambition. You want to be a top four team in the West and MLS, uh, certainly some of those key guys, Pedro Vite, Matias Laborda, even Ryan Raposo and Ali Ahmed as role players. Uh, I think in order to be one of those top four teams, they have to not only have a clear idea of what their best position is in the team, but they also have to be used in a way that's getting a good amount out of them. And so Julian Gressel has been great so far this year. Um, Ryan Gold continues to be pretty solid. Brian White is coming on in terms of goal scoring. Like I, I think there's a lot to be encouraged about with this team. But uh, going forward, if they if they want to hit that ambition, Vanny's going to have to find a way to get more out of the roster as a complete package because I think that is the area where week to week, match to match, they're just falling a bit short, and that's why you're going to get these inconsistent performances where you 
beat Montreal 5-0, dominate Portland, but then lose to RSL, uh, draw matches at home, you should win. It, you're not going to be able to get over that kind of inconsistency until I think they, they deal with some of these personnel issues in terms of tactics. Yeah, and I think that's the last point I'm going to make on the LAFC tie. I don't really have much more to say, just the, you know, should have it just feels like they should have gone for it and had they lost like this after that you would have been happy it was just kind of frustrating the way they went after it but yeah no the last one for me as well is it just feels like as well they need to get some consistency uh in terms of just what also is being seen out on the field i think one key thing is when you're trying to be like vancouver and use player one to 18 on your roster it feels like also you have to you know reward certain players appropriately and i think you know, something as well that you mentioned in this LAFC game, for example, someone like, uh, you know, Tybert, who struggled in both legs, you know, the fact that he got a start after the first leg where he did look a bit overmatched against that LAFC midfield. I'm just using that as an example because, you know, you you look at him or you look at, say, the Whitecaps when they were having their center back issues. We mentioned, like, maybe it's time to give Ranko a look off the bench or on the, on the sidelines purely because if it ain't working, you try something new. So there's that inconsistency, but then a guy like Brian White, who was doing literally everything right, like he just wasn't scoring, he was playing well. This weekend against a Portland, you bench him. It's just kind of something where it's like, he's kind of turning on the right like path. Like, why is that something? Or even like Betcher and Ahmed, they're playing well. And you bench him last week in the LAFC, a game where it's a must-win game. You reward the guys who are playing in form. And I think that's very interesting to me because when Vanny was doing very, very well in 2021, it felt like just every week, yeah, you'd sit there and question, like, what the heck is going on with some of these players out of position? For the most part, players were playing well. And they were sta- when they were playing well, they'd stay there. A guy like Bruno Gaspar at the time stepped up. He stayed in the lineup. Well, it, it was something where everyone would question it. We'd be in the press box going, like, what the heck is this or or you make a halftime substitution and everyone would be like, oh, this is going to be terrible. And then it was a tactical masterstroke, right? Like it, it was just, he was hitting on all these wild experiments. And now it feels like um, it doesn't, the wild experiments don't suit this team anymore because the team's good enough. They don't, they don't need the wild experiments, but I I feel like Vanny's almost a bit addicted to trying to come up with something no one else has thought of. And so it's it's getting in the way because this team doesn't that team he took over needed the science experiments. Yeah. That was the only way they were going to make the playoffs. This team's good enough; they don't need it anymore. So Vanny just has to find a way to stop himself from just going crazy all the time. Yeah, well, but the thing is with that team as well, it's like everyone was playing well, and what you know when someone did struggle, you'd kind of see them drop out, and someone new would step up. And I think that's the big thing now, where it feels like. Vite again, Vite for me is the one that makes no zero, like literally zero sense. Like you can go and argue about like, oh, the fullbacks, like the center backs, could they start new guys? You know, who up front Pedro Vite makes zero sense because like the numbers are starting to back it up. Like, yeah, he doesn't just he only has one assist. So you can look like, oh, number 10, you want a little more counting stats, so to speak, but the reality is like he's pretty he started all of the team's wins this year. He started all the games where they've scored a you know a lot of goals, which has been inconsistent. There's been a few one goal games, etc. Uh, you know, he's he's been a key source of offense. For example, you go against an LAFC team where you need goals, he doesn't start either of the games. Like that is something where it's like, wow. 
because you look at MLS, or, you know, he started the game, they scored five. He started the game against the weekend where they should have scored three against Portland, but Ivasic, who we'll talk about in a few minutes, went off. Like, just the reality is when Vite plays, the team does better in, on, on offense, yet we haven't seen that reward. It's, it seems like for Vite, it's always a fight just to get on the field. And I think that it's tough because had Vanny, his, if, if Vanny was a coach in the mold of someone who just throws out his best 11 every week, or at least who he thinks is his best 11 and just rolled through that. Hey, at least he, he knows he'd say he has what he believes is his best 11. You could argue with it all you want, but at least those guys can build consistency. At least, you know, you can, you can just, you're being with going with what you got. But the fact that if you're playing this way where you want to rely on one to 18 and guys are stepping up, I think a key, a huge example is someone again, we'll use him just because he's such a great coach. Wilfred Nancy over in Montreal and now Columbus something he did really well with Montreal and I'm seeing it now with Columbus. He uses player to one to 18, but it's something where if you're playing well off the bench, you get starts. Like it's something where, you know, he smelled Kone looked good last year. He's like, okay, I'm going to throw you in even if you have no professional experience. And then Kone dipped. He's like, bet I will, or, or his form dipped. He's like, bet I'll just bench you for a bit. And then his form picked back up and he started him again. And there's countless examples across the roster where players were playing well okay, you reward them. It just feels like with the white caps now, there's just a bit of inconsistency there. And I think that's not going to be good for the team long-term because you're sitting there in your Pedro Vita and you're like, every time I start, the team scores goals and does well. He's only human. At a certain point, he might be like, what's the point? And start to his performances will dip. And it's just little things like that. If you want to be getting one to 18 happy, that's not the way to go about it. No, absolutely. I would uh, co-sign, endorse everything you just said. All right. Do we have any final any final points about the Champions League? I guess I'll just add that, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think the second leg maybe was a little bit depressing just in the sense that the Whitecaps really didn't show anything. But it's important to keep in mind that um, the situation they found themselves in, the fact that no one got injured for the weekend, uh, they're going to have a pretty full host of guys fit. I, I think, honestly, this isn't the worst result for the team. Again, it's just some of the frustrations about the approach and the frustration of not being able to put up a better fight against LAFC. Because I think that was the thing that was exciting going into this is, hey, we get to test ourselves against the best in CONCACAF, and they didn't really provide much <laughs> of a challenge. So I... I just that's that's disappointing, but I think it's important to keep in mind that uh, this can be a blessing in disguise in a way for the Whitecaps. And even if they put in their best effort, it still might not have been enough. So um, I think, you know, their best their best mode at this point is to just move forward and uh, and, yeah, focus on Austin on the weekend. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to just end the Champions League talk. It's something where, look, it. It was a bonus. It's something where the Whitecaps do really have to take a big step up forward in MLS. You have to retain your Canadian Championship. Leagues Cup, who knows? We'll see how we feel about Leagues Cup whenever the heck that comes around in the in the summer. But, you know, something like Champions League, it was it's early. It's something if you can do well, go on a run, you take it. But it's something where it can also derail your season. Like I mean, Seattle, of course, will be happy. They made the, the jump and won, you know, last year. But how many teams... Like Toronto FC in 2018 made that push all the way to the edge, but didn't win. And the next thing you know, it just derailed their season. Something where it was a bonus. I think the biggest just disappointment was, yeah, like you mentioned, it was a test. It was a chance to test at the very least go out swinging and feels like they, they failed the test. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, it was a chance to, like you say, show yourselves off against the best. 
you know, for teams, you hear all this talk about, oh, you know, teams, teams saying, oh, the white caps are cheap. Oh, the white caps don't invest. Like this isn't going to help you in that, that battle to, to win over some of those people say, and that's probably the most disappointing that, Hey, again, losing the LAFC, no shame. It would have been nicer just to see them go out with their heads a little higher, but let's shift over to MLS play just because again, we'll, we'll, we'll be very existential about champions league and until the end of this episode. Uh, Otherwise, I mean, Portland, this was a good win for the white caps. I mean, first of all, Cascadia, you get three points on the board in Cascadia. They last year they did not do that, and they're their opener in Cascadia. Played Portland. Portland goalied them pretty much, if I remember correctly, to to, to a win that day. And the you know so that that hurt that hurt the Whitecaps in the end. If they'd won that game, they would have made the playoffs. You can say of, of course, but that felt like one where you look back that really felt like a loss. In this game, they made sure not to avoid that. Uh, or felt they made sure to avoid that. Sorry, because it felt like for most of the game they dominated. They should have won, and lo and behold, they went out and actually did it. And I think that's a credit to the Whitecaps that they're starting to put together these sorts of performances where they're dominating from one, minute one to minute ninety, as I felt that they did against Portland, getting the job done, doing so with you know relative, you know, no stress, no 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 fuss about it. That's what you want to see from the Whitecaps. So that's good because they're going to need a lot more of that in MLS. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess bullet points from this Portland match is, first of all, man, Portland looks like I, I know they're dealing with injuries and it's it's been a tough start to the season, but it looks like Portland's taken a major step back. I, I think that was just one of my first gut reactions. Uh, Ivicic, absolute man of the match for them, could have very easily been three or four nil white caps if not for his really solid play. And as you pointed out, I think having two goals called back Vancouver, one of them very obviously offside, the other borderline in terms of what's a shove in the box. I mean, uh, Alistair Johnson experienced that on the weekend in, in the old firm where he got a little bit lucky uh, this time, uh, the push off on the defender also called. Um, but the fact that the Whitecaps were able to rise above that and uh, you know, they, 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 you could see it's like, oh, you know, there we go, another goal called back, but they're able to keep firing chances and finally get that breakthrough um, with Brian White uh, being in the right place at the right time, getting rewarded for all, all the good work he's been doing this season. So I, I think that was great. And, and as you said, you know, good teams, even when maybe things don't go their way, they, they find a way to secure those home W's and, uh, and just, take the points right you, you got to take care of your business at home everything else is kind of a secondary thought so I think that's really encouraging you can look at the white caps uh, play recently um, and, and question certainly Portland not at their best CF Montreal not at their best Minnesota severely depleted but hey you, you got to go get results you have to go pick up points and, and the white caps have been doing that recently it also looks like overall, I mean, their their defensive issues have subsided somewhat. They're not allowing the same, they're not allowing the same volume of set pieces, which is probably helpful, but then they're also doing a decent job defending those set pieces. So um, that was one of the things we talked about early in the season. These things are going to regress back to normal levels, right? You're not going to, Brian White's not going to create so many chances and score so few goals. Uh, the Whitecaps aren't going to concede every set piece they allow for the rest of the season. These things just have a way of sort of coming back down to earth. And it's good to see that actually happening. 
And as you mentioned, I think that the next thing I would just highlight from this match is how much it's not all Pedro Vite, but how much Pedro Vite with Ryan Gall, then with Julian Gressel getting in the mid, just how much more fluid, dynamic, exciting that midfield looks with Pedro Vite in the fold. And I mean, I give a huge shout out as well to to Ali Ahmed who who put in a shift and, and looked very dangerous. So I, I think there's some nice little threads from that Portland match that uh, Vancouver can look to take into the weekend. And I would imagine that if you're Vanny Sartini, you're probably, you're looking at that starting 11, you're looking at that blueprint and you're going to try to copy paste and do something similar uh, this weekend down in Austin. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much to to like with the Portland a result. And I mean, it's just little things too. Like, like you mentioned the, the whole idea of regressions is again, sirens continue to go off. So maybe it's a bad time to talk about the analytical numbers. Uh, but I don't think any, any sirens should be going off about the analytical numbers of the white caps. Um, just cause again, it's wild to go on American soccer analysis filter by XG four per game. Lo and behold, I'm not scrolling down to the bottom to see Vancouver. They're at the top. And it's scary because they don't have a penalty this year either. So like you don't even have to like filter out penalties. I'd be honestly curious to see how far ahead there. Cause it feels like very unusual storyline that the fact the white caps haven't had a penalty. I'm not wild for saying that, right? They, they do genuinely not have a, a penalty this year. So the offense is looking fine. That is like no worries at all. It's something where the goals will figure itself out. Although it seems again, Pedro Vite seems to be the key to that. So maybe, you know, lean, lean on him a little more of any Sertini if you're listening. Uh, and then, yeah, the defense is slowly getting better. It's something where they've creeped up to the cusp of the top 10 in terms of XG against. You look at their last few games, it's trending in the right direction. I mean, you know, they had, uh, you, you look, they allowed 1.4 at home to RSL. You're like, okay, that's not great. The next week they allowed 1.86 to San Jose. Not great. Uh, but then they allowed 1.10 to FC Dallas. That's a that was should have been enough for them to to win. They go down the Galaxy, allow 1.73, not great. But then the three games since 0.83 against Minnesota, very good defensive performance. Uh, 0.17 against 10, you know, 10 player Montreal, perfect. And then to allow just 0.8 against Portland, that's also fantastic. And that's also again, it's encouraging. The trends are going in the right direction, especially when you realize that. In all these games, their XG is also on the other. The XG4 has been shooting through the roof. So I am just, you know, you see those underlying metrics. Those are worth pointing out just because the Whitecaps haven't been always been the best friend with uh, advanced metrics in the last five years. It always feels like they're punching above their weight whenever they do well. And the fact that you look at the numbers and they're doing, they're good. You're like, okay, that's encouraging, especially now if they can get the worry of CCL or the way they can just focus on getting their best players healthy and all out in the field together. Could be a fun uh, little stretch for them. Yeah, it's funny you put a smile on my face because even the the reaction sort of from the 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 data boys, I think a little bit has been like, wait, the Whitecaps have good underlying numbers? What? Like it's it's just it, the narrative for years has been even when the Whitecaps have had success, it's like, oh yeah, but their their underlying data is terrible. So don't pay any attention to this. And you're totally right. Like I, I go on American Soccer Analysis or FB Ref or any of these sites, and I'm just used to scrolling down to the bottom to find the white caps. You know, possession, progressive passes, all that kind of stuff. It's always been right down in the cellar and they're um, they're playing 
in terms of those metrics really, really well so far this season, which is great to see. I just want to pick up on a couple, couple more points from the Portland match. Matias Laborda right back again. Um, or, or do you play some a little bit on the left too? I feel like, you know, that there's a little bit of fluidity there. Uh, something that popped out to me was Laborda being an aerial threat in the box, which is obviously Tristan Blackman's had a good start to the year in that category. Ranko got involved in this match as well. Uh, although that's probably something you expect a little bit less from Ranko, but um, I thought that that was great. Laborda continues to his passing from the back line is, is not fantastic, but again, he's being put in a position. I wouldn't really expect a ton, but uh, I thought he was active and that was good to see. And, uh, and overall, I think, yeah, just the back line is, uh, is settling a little bit, which is nice. And then uh, up front, kind of on the opposite end, Simon Betcher with, uh, you know, it's hard to live up to recent performances, but it was a, it, it was a little bit more of a quiet night from Simon and, just felt like he had maybe a bit of a hard time as well as Vite and Gold and Gressel and Ahmed were creating and buzzing. I just, Simon Betcher had a hard time uh, combining with them and, and getting integrated. I also think Portland, you know, for a lot of their struggles did a decent job uh, kind of man marking him, bumping him, knocking him off of his diagonal runs and, and shutting him down. And then, you know, Brian White was kind of, Betcher softened them up a little bit and then Brian White was able to come in in the second half and maybe take a little bit more advantage. But um, yeah, Alex, any, any other individual thoughts, kind of big picture takeaways from the, from the Portland match? For sure. I mean, I got one. We'll open up a dialogue We're gonna, <laughs> about a certain player, uh, but just on Betcher, it's a good point. I think what we're realizing with Betcher is for him, it's something where if he plays, I think White should play. Just because the frustrating thing about watching the Portland game is that Betcher, he just makes such good runs. He just he 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 opens up space and it was just frustrating because Portland were able to mark him out and they didn't have to worry about another threat. I think what was nice against Montreal is that, you know, Montreal were just they they were focused on white and Betcher thrived on that. And then Portland's like, okay, they're not dumb. Scouting report, this kid's red hot. Let's mark him. It worked, but the thing is, a guy, the way Betcher plays, he's so smart in opening the space. It's just frustrating to see him make these near-post runs. You think, oh, what if White was at the back post? Or, you know, just use that with with some of the attention. Because a guy like White can play on his own because he can hold up the ball. He can be that focal point where he's dropping the midfield. Whereas Betcher, it just feels like he's he's more of that that poacher number nine. And, again, that's you can play a striker like that up front. I think you just also have to accept the fact that Sometimes he's going to get marked out of games. Think of think of someone as good as Freddie Montero who's kind of almost in that similar mold, although he is also very good with his feet. So not exactly the same type of player. I guess maybe Chicharito would probably be more of an apt comparison for, for Betcher. But look at someone like Chicharito. This is someone that when he gets his chances in the box, he scores, he gets all these goals. But there's also times throughout a season where you'll watch him and he's just nothing will happen, but he's making these sorts of runs that pull off his teammates. And there's a reason, you know, why Chicharito is always in his career. He's thrived when he's had some great wingers or great strikers around him that can feed off that. And it was just a bit frustrating for Betcher. Uh, it feels like a uh, white should be, you know, if, if Betcher is going to play, so should white, but pretty much in terms of that game, that, that empties out the notebook, except for one player. And I think it's time that, we start the dialogue uh, on the, that that player, and that's Ali Ahmed. Um, 
sorry again there's the sirens are just going absolutely bonkers here the sun came out in toronto and uh no one knows how to act appropriately apparently um but no again like with the underlying numbers no sirens with ali ahmed i mean sam i was saying this before the show and we could kind of build off this when everyone's healthy like is it wild for me to say that ali ahmed's starting to show enough that he could maybe be a starter well, I think you make a really good point in terms of your kind of selling me on this before the show. In terms of his tactical flexibility, too, where I was not expecting Ali Ahmed to look so good as an eight. And so I think with Alessandro Shop still on the mend uh, and, you know, Gressel, Shop, they're guys that might pick up little knocks from every once in a while. If you have congested schedules, you're going to need someone else to to fill that midfield depth role because Seb Berhalter, more of a natural backup to Andres Kubas. You probably don't want him playing in a box-to-box capacity. So I think whenever uh, you don't have Shop, Gressel, and Kubas together in a midfield three, Ali Ahmed's your next guy up at the moment. So I am absolutely endorse that. And then when he's not playing in the midfield, the left back, right back position, it's still a bit of a complete wild card. And Ahmed showed the ability to make those deep runs and uh, put pressure on other teams defensively, which Vanny Sartini has consistently really valued out of that fullback position. And he's looked okay defensively as well. I think you, you know, you strike from the record the most recent LAFC match a little bit because it was just a, an impossible task. And it's not like, Ahmed was poor in that match defensively either. So um, I think, you know, the only thing that might prevent him from being a match in match out starter is almost his tactical flexibility a little bit. He's not maybe going to nail down one spot. And the fact that Manny Sartini also just loves to tweak the lineup, but I think he's absolutely in the, the 14, 15 that are going to get regular starts. And uh, yeah, if he keeps playing like this, I don't see, any reason why that's going to go away anytime soon. And uh, whether people like it or not, I think that, you know, Simon Betcher is going to have a much harder time getting starts probably as the season goes on than, than Ali Ahmed. Well, again, I get with, with, with Betcher, it's something where his, first of all, he's going up in a little more crowded position, like just, you know, up front, especially when Cordova comes back and obviously the white caps will like to get him going and something where, Betcher is probably going to look best playing alongside White. And you got Vite, you got Gold, you know, maybe you got Ahmed as a, as an eight and all this, uh, you know, filling out. Basically, yeah, it's, it's one of those where it might just be harder. But a guy like Ahmed, yeah, it's a clear pass because I think you're right. He's um, arguably, I mean, he's, of course, one healthy shop and, and Gress will be your two eights. But it's something where Ahmed brings a bit of a different thing to both of them because a guy like Gressel, like Gressel covers a lot of ground. He does not look comfortable doing so. He, he looks like someone who'd much, you know, rather he sometimes he looks uncomfortable running. Shop, we know, you know, fitness has been an issue going more than 60 uh, has been an issue. Ahmed is just, he's, he's fit. And like, it's something where, again, like this is someone who's fasting right now for Ramadan and he consistently looks like the most energized player on the field every game and that's huge because for center mid and fullback the two positions he's vying for you kind of need a high motor and that because of that i do feel 
he there's a role where either if if, if you're not if you need a bit more engine in the midfield, like a bit more running, you can slot him in there. If you if you're you know, or you can keep him at fullback where that running will will really benefit. Cause we've seen it as well. Like a guy like Javane Brown has struggled to keep up with the demands. Luis Martinez has certainly struggled to keep up with the demands of running up and down that that touch line. And yeah, I think it's something where just that that motor alone is enough to throw him in that discussion. Then you just look at how comfortable he's on the ball, just dribbling guys, winning fouls, doing a lot of those smart little things that you're like, oh, that's a that's a smart player. That's a player that is getting the pro game. Like the amount of times he just runs at guys and keeps the ball, wins those fouls. He's really good at making these short passes. What I like is that he doesn't necessarily attempt anything that he doesn't feel is out of his range. He's never, you know, sometimes young players can be like, oh, I want to show off my 40-yard switch and they're whipping around. 40 yard, you know, balls to mix success, or they're trying to do all these long Hollywood passes. He's making a, he does a good job of playing these short, incisive passes, but then also playing backwards when nothing's there. He's never trying too much, but then he'll see a chance to dribble and he goes for it. And I just think all those culmination of little details that looks like a young guy who's getting it. And we have to remember this isn't a natural position for him. So if he can continue to grow and evolve there, he already is for me ticking a lot of the boxes I want from an eight, which is work rate which is movement, constant movement off the ball to open up space for your teammates. It's the ability to play these short, intricate passes. Uh, it's just the ability to track back. And I think uh, the fact that he's done all those so impressively, yeah, you have to be excited. Yeah, I'll add just two things in terms of Ali Ahmed that are maybe not like perfectly definable metrics, but just things that you pick up on the eye test. And the first we were talking about before the show for me, it's the the stride length in a way, the way he's able to just kind of get out on the run like a gazelle and he's just can cover a lot of ground in what looks like very few strides. And, you know, different midfielders, you see there's, there's guys that are short and stout and sort of make it up in quick motion. There's guys that just have that nonstop work rate where they're, you know, hustling, hustling constantly. But Ahmed's just able to glide and cover 15, 20 yards in what feels like no time whatsoever. And it, and it looks relatively effortless. And I think that's just such a, a great tool to have where you, you pick up the ball at the halfway line. And next thing you know, you're on the edge of the box, right? It just, it happens bang like that. And then the other thing is to me, Alex, he has a, an almost, um, and almost Ali Adnan-esque ability to look like he doesn't have that much control of the ball and yet dribble through, past, alongside defenders. Like he's able to jostle and sometimes the ball's in his feet and it looks like a bit of a mess, but he, he manages to come out the other side with the ball still under his control. And so uh, I think that's something where you know he, he's looking more and more comfortable taking on MLS defenders, uh, putting guys under a little bit of trouble. And I, and I think something that he'll just get better at as time goes on is, you know, it's one thing to to take on a defender 1v1 or to to have the ball in traffic, but it's another to have that 360 awareness of who's around me, where are the passing lanes, who's open to receive it. And, and I get the sense that you know, the first couple of times I watched Ali this season, it felt like it was a little bit of Christian Dahomey syndrome where it gets a little tunnel vision. There's not a lot of perspective for what's going on, but more and more, it feels like the pitch is opening up for Ali. And I think it's just going to get better and better. The more he plays, the more he gets starts, right? 
And I think that's, you know, we talked about this before. Like, to me, that's a massive difference between Pedro Vite and Christian Dahomey is Vite is always looking and scanning and finding the open man. Christian Dahomey, not so much. And so I feel like Ali's gradually making that transition to, to having the vision and having the comfort with his teammates at the MLS level as well. And so I think that, that that's a great sign for another element he can add to his repertoire as he, as he grows as an MLS player. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, little things too that, that I appreciate is his hip movement. Sometimes when you move in to play the number eight, this is something that Russell Tybert has been struggling with. I just, I've noticed because as you see, I'm going to come in and hadn't seen Russell Tybert. I just use him as an example. Sometimes Russell Tybert closes up the field and that's maybe, you know, that's why he sometimes does pass the ball backwards because there's also moments when the field opens up for him. He can, Russell Tybert can whip out these 40 yard switches. He can rip out these 25 yard knuckleballs like he did yesterday where he almost scored this absolute screamer. But sometimes he closes off the field for himself and smart defenders pick up on that. They're like, okay, if I stand here, you're going to make a guy's life very hard. And, you know, something like Dahomey as well is a great example where he'll, he kind of gets this tunnel vision as a defender. You know, okay, if I give him this certain space, he's going to be like, whoa, like you're giving me that space. And what I love about Ahmed, it's almost you can see the street baller in him in a sense that he just, he, his hips are so fluid and he'll just run at you. Be like, okay, you give me left, I'll go left. You give me right, I'll go right. Like, you know, it's one of those where he's used to those tight spaces where sometimes on, on different certain surfaces or certain level, like if you give someone gives you left, you go left because there's there's no room backwards. There's no room in the middle. Uh, you know, of course, on a big field, it's uh, it's very different. So I just I find that is interesting as well, because, um, you know, those little details, again, for for a player like that, those can go along uh, you know, way just because a lot of the other stuff can come with time. Like he's only going to get more comfortable on the ball. He's going to only get more comfortable with his tactical deployment, his defensive role. So it's something where this is what you want out of your first team players or your second team players coming up to the first team. If they're coming, it's, and the same goes for Betcher and a lot of those little things he's shown. Like if they're they're showing these these things and you're able to just help them grow, it's exciting. So yeah, it's something where. Ahmed, though, the, he's shown enough, at least in terms of deliverables, that when everyone's healthy, I can like to continue and see get, see him get more starts. So credit to him for, for how he's really burst on the scene here. Shout out to more uh, absolute traffic in downtown Toronto. Okay, well, with that, I think that kind of empties the notebook on Portland and LAFC. That's enough looking back at what happened. Austin FC upcoming this weekend, the Whitecaps on the road for a second consecutive match, looking to pick up points, which obviously well-documented over the last couple seasons, especially getting wins on the road has been a massive challenge. But this is an interesting matchup. Austin FC's last match was a 3-0 loss to LAFC. So both of these teams familiar with the challenges that the black and gold can pose, but now they're facing off against each other. And as much as we talked about Alex, how Vancouver is a bit of a, an underrated data darling so far this season, the opposite can be said of Austin where last season uh, they were riding the thermals. They were on a high, they were outperforming all the metrics. They were the fourth best team in MLS in, in the regular season. I really, I think, you know, can't be, can't be understated how, how good they were at times, but now this season is really coming back down to earth. Um, they are getting a bit unlucky in terms of their expected goals, but um, 
nonetheless not uh, not the same results. And ultimately, I don't think the ceiling really looks that high either. Whereas, you know, I think the Whitecaps realistically could be a could be one of those top four teams in the West if they if they get it together. Austin feels like they'd have to have their top players just, you know, doing exactly what they were doing last season. And, uh, and they've also got some, some vulnerabilities, some frailties that uh, probably are going to be pretty difficult to fix. So just looking through the form, uh, looking through the recent results, they did pick up two wins at the start of the season, but most recently I mentioned that loss to LAFC, but then, also matches against Houston and Colorado where they weren't able to pick up three points. And to me, that's kind of the, the sign, you know, a, a one, one draw with Colorado uh, and really Colorado unlucky not to take the W in that one uh, where they had tons of chances and then a two nil loss on the road to Houston where uh, Houston was the much better team. So recently not, not a great run of form for Austin. And so this is an opportunity for Vancouver to come in and, you know, uh, can they ride their good MLS play? How do they approach this one as well? Um, you know, do they go out and, and try to dictate and, and be aggressive? Because I, I think that's something realistically Vancouver could do in this match. Yeah. And I mean, underlying numbers, not great for Austin. They're sixth in XG again. So the defense has been leaky. We'll, we'll dive into why. Cause I mean, uh, there is no defense in terms of literally like the, the center backs are, are hard to come by. They've got Alex ring playing center back a lot these days. And as we know, he's one of the best number six, eights in, in MLS. He's uh, he's not a center back. Um, and the attack has also struggled about, but 12th last in, in, in uh, XG force so or about low mid to low table uh, in that regard. But yeah, for me, just looking at this roster, it feels like they made the cardinal sin of, doubling down on a roster with those you know poor analytical numbers and then just injuries have further stretched that point and I think that's yeah that's something where you see that with teams analytical these analytical numbers aren't necessarily kiss of death it's something where you can have poor analytical numbers one year and be really good the key is when you notice that it's okay let's shore up some of these areas like if you're allowing a lot of you know xg against but you have a great goalkeeper if you if you improve your defense in front of him, his numbers are gonna go <laughs> through the roof, right? It's one of those where uh, that's kind of logical. And um, you know, Austin last year we saw Brad Stuber was excellent. Like he was something where he was a good goalkeeper. Yet they didn't uh, shore up the defense in front of him. And then in fact, they've just got they had that. Then they got hit with injuries, and now it's like okay, teams are allowed to run a train through that midfield and defense. Oh, you know, all of a sudden the Austins are conceding a bunch of goals. Like it's one of those where they just made that cardinal sin of not necessarily of looking. And they're almost like, oh, yeah, we outperformed the experts. We're so happy. We're going to double down on this roster. And uh, it's one of those where, <laughs> you know, the, the cracks are, are going through. So, of course, it's going to be tough because Austin is a tough place to play at. Um, it's something where they just seem to find a way at home you know, to get, to get these results either way. And it's MLS, it's always going to be hard at home, but yeah, if you're the white caps, you're looking at those underlying numbers in particular, like run at the, the defenders, try to really get an early goal, get something uh, going just because Austin, you yeah, had defensively is in particular, that's not been pretty. And you look up front, like the, the roulette of going through Giassi Zardes and Maxi Arruti as your two main number nines in 2023. I mean, yeah, Sebastian Drews, you'll have to worry about, 
Uh, you know, and the likes of Zardes and Rudy, those are the exact kind of players that always seem to score against Vancouver. But, you know, those sorts of little things, it's not, you're not looking, you're not staring down the face of a team where you're like, okay, there's a lot of options they have to be wary of. And uh, because of that, it's going to be interesting to see how they approach this game. Well, I was going to say on the face of it, like, I don't hate the idea of guys like Zardes and Max Rudy as your strikers. I mean, you talk about the, the soccernomics, right? Where you, you know, bring in vets or bring in cheap youngsters to be your focal point, but that's on really well-built squads. And so that's, that's the flaw (laughs) in this plan is that you have that, you have the kind of strikers of a, of a dominant team, not a team with some pretty significant holes. And so you, you maybe need a more dominant striker in the case where you're relying on them to sort of drag the team along. So yeah, Austin, kind of like Vancouver of seasons past, I think stuck in between ideas and probably extrapolating, as you said, too much out of a hot run of form and saying, oh, well, this is who we are going forward and and maybe not being completely realistic uh, about some of the holes they need to fill. I mean, I talked about um, most recent MLS form, but something you look at too, kind of like you could look at Vancouver, uh, you take a look at their wins and their wins are over RSL and CF Montreal. So again, just, yeah, that certainly a lot of, a lot of question marks at this point in the season. These are the two teams that are eighth and ninth in the West, uh, you know, hovering right around that playoff line. And uh, the question is, does, you know, do you go up in the standings or do you go down the standings? And, you know, I got to be honest uh, obviously we cover the Vancouver Whitecaps a lot more than we cover Austin FC, but, if I had to pick one team to go up in the standings, one team to go down, I think I'm taking the white caps to climb their way up the table. And Austin feels like a team that uh, it could spiral a little bit, especially as you said, just because they don't really have uh, the midfield and defensive depth just to, to survive a long season. It doesn't feel like, and Driussi Gallagher, that they can do a lot in terms of chance creation, but they're not getting much help right now. And, uh, yeah, certainly just not enough help to uh, to sort of overcome their defensive issues. And uh, I think the big thing for Vancouver is can you overcome the environment? Because it's, it's a tough place to go play. It's, uh, you know, lots of loud fans and, and they seem to be just to find an extra gear at home. And so I, I really want the Whitecaps to go into this matchup and uh, dictate control play the way they did against Portland because I think, if they go in with the first leg against LAFC attitude of, oh, we're going to respect our opponent, just feel this one out, then you invite Austin to find some confidence and get into the match. I think you have to try to, you have to try to discourage them, uh, you know, get them out of the match as early as possible. So that's one where as much as I like this matchup for Vancouver in terms of the players, the possibilities, I think the coaching inside the first 25, 30 minutes is going to be crucial. Yeah. And I think from just for me, I mean, in terms of, you know, maybe more general thoughts without even looking at matchups, this feels like a statement game for Vancouver on certain levels. Like it feels funny to say, but like you mentioned, you're neck and neck in the standings. Austin has a game in hand. If they win, they're ahead of you and they have that game in hand. Those sorts of things add up over the course of a long season, of course, but Another thing, too, heading into the season, I mean, I think I had them pegged as a top four team in the West. I had the Whitecaps did. I think I don't. you had somewhat similar, like top five uh, or, or something like that. A lot of people did. 
right. believe I had the white caps fifth or sixth in the West. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I had fourth or fifth or something along those lines. And we've seen some people say like, this can be a top four team in the West. If they win this game, they would, you know, of course it depends on results around them. They, at the moment they would provisionally go fourth without factoring any of those results. All of a sudden you're a top four team in the West. And I just say this because you look at the West right now, there's no reason why they can't pick things up and make them cement themselves. Like it was, like we mentioned depth wise, this is a team that has enough pieces to push for top four in the West. That's not a huge ass. Like, no, I'm not saying they're going to go out and be beaten LAFC Seattle. And that's why I look at the hierarchy right now. LAFC clear. Number one, Seattle right behind them. Like though, those two are, that's going to be a heck of a playoff game. If those two play each other, I really hope they do. Um, then after that, like it's looking now, like you're looking at the two teams up in the top four, like St. Louis, they have the pieces to stay there. It's year one. Will they stay up uh, in that top four? Potentially. Okay. You look after like FC Dallas. Well, you know, it's something where you saw them a couple weeks ago in Vancouver, not at all that convincing. I mean, Minnesota, when everyone's healthy, they're looking a lot better than they were last year. But even that's still a team where you're looking at the Whitecaps. That's a team you could very much go up against. You know, San Jose <laughs> did something where a team that's on the right track, but uh, getting there. Yeah, it's something where, yeah, you look at the, the West, there's no reason why they can't push to that top four. So the fact they could do this with this game would go a long way. And then also the other one is they've just struggled on the road. I think I, for, for one soccer, I tracked it before the Champions League game. They've won two of their last 22 in all competitions. Now it's two in their last 23 in all competitions on the road. This would just be a nice way, way for them to go out, get a win, and be like, okay, look, some of those troubles are starting to go around us. All of a sudden, despite a mixed star MLS play, things are trending in the right direction. Um, you, you're getting road wins all of a sudden. You're you're in that pushing that top four of the standings. It would go a long way towards showing, hey, this is what we said the team can be if they push. And, you know, they've shown flashes. This is a chance to really take a step towards becoming it. Yeah, I, I mean, I endorse everything you have to say. Just we have to be careful with the massive caveat of, you know, will Vanny Sartini field his best 11 players and actually actually get the <laughs> most been out of game this, one. get the most out of this lineup? Like, it's important to contextualize this is what we believe this the squad can do. It's just the problem is we've yet to yet to really see a couple matches consecutively where they just field their best lineup and actually play the football they're capable of. So I'm going to need to see that going forward. But I think everything you said is, is totally realistic and not a huge ask. Yeah. Behind LAFC and Seattle, they, they could be the third best team in the West this season. If they, if they figure things out, that's not hot. That's not a hot take too. That's the one. Like we're not sitting here and like you look again, like it's, it's just looking at what's there. Like this is purely look at say your core. You don't even have to look at the rest of the roster. With Vite, Gold, Gressel, Kubas, th- those four alone, that should be enough to be pushing you in that conversation. Like, yeah, you could be like, oh, they could use maybe another DP or even their depth. But I think just those four alone, you you put them up against any of the other big four in MLS, or not MLS, a big four in that Western Conference discussion, sorry. And that's important to note because this is MLS is a big player league. So if, if you're looking at those big four, that's a, something to consider. Yeah, I think that's that's super encouraging. So, you know, this is just a great opportunity to to test yourself. And, and we were saying this before the show, time to start sprinkling in some road wins. It doesn't have to be every match. It could be 
every one and four, every one and five, but those, those bonus three points you can pick up on the road. They, they make a huge difference. And the Whitecaps just not been getting any of that at, at the moment. So uh, again, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but to me that just, that has a lot to do with your road mentality. You have to approach road matches like you can go get three points. If you don't believe that going in, then there's no way you can get the three points. So I really hope they're, they're aggressive and assertive this weekend. Uh, uh, and we'll just kind of dive into uh, transitioning towards lineup for the weekend. They're going to hopefully have the players to be able to do that. Andres Kubas picked up a shoulder knock against Portland, but speaking with Vanny Sartini before the LAFC match, he didn't travel to LA, but I think he will be with the team in Austin and ideally he will be available. Even if that wasn't the case, I don't think you're uh, massively concerned if Seb Berhalter has to play at the six who filled in really, really well for Vancouver against Portland. It was a little more challenging for Berhalter against LAFC, but uh, you know, like we said on, on the show countless times, that's a, it's a tall, a tall task against LAFC, especially with, you know, Russell Tybert in the midfield a little bit too. You got to be realistic there. So um, no shop, no Sergio Cordova. However, Daber Caicedo back in the fold, give a shout out to Daber. Uh, missed a massive opportunity, missed a massive opportunity that could have, could have maybe changed the tie a little bit down in LA, but, but overall, uh, great to just see him fit again and and be a be an element, be an option going forward. I, I think that's really really good. Yeah, I don't know if you want to say anything about about Damer real quick, Alex. No, just nice to see and just find his legs. Really, I think that's the one thing. It's he hasn't fully looked himself yet, and that's fine. Like he's coming off a major knee injury. He's had some good flashes though. Like okay, you can see he's starting to get healthy. He's running, you know, a little little more like Diver. He's starting to take guys on a little more. So. Just more of that, because I think it's going to be huge to to have in that rotation. It's something where, I mean, at the moment, it's hard to imagine him in a best 11, so to speak. You know, the same way, especially you've seen guys like Vite, you've seen guys like Ali Ahmed push their way in. But it's someone where if, if divers are coming off the bench for you, that's huge. And if he can be pushing guys like Vite to another level, then you're winning, right? So uh, hopefully it's someone he can step up just because he seems to fit that profile more. As we mentioned with Dahomey, just hasn't really suited him. And as the game's gone along, you haven't seen maybe an adaptation or or something of those likes, whereas we know Diver can fit the the system. So it make, makes him such an intriguing piece to, to watch as he just gets those reps in and gets up to full speed. Yeah, absolutely. So as mentioned, um, and just kind of added context, is the Whitecaps have a bye week after Austin. So really um, an opportunity to to reset a little bit, take stock of uh, the first couple months of the season. And Alessandro Schott and Sergio Cordova not expected to uh, be back up to, to full speed until after that bye week. So that gives you an idea of what to, what to think going forward. But other than that, because the Whitecaps played such a dead rubber affair on Tuesday, pretty much everyone should be available for this. So, uh, Maybe, let's just dive straight into to lineup predictions, Alex. I think after a after a Thomas Osall start, Yoi Tokaoka back in goal. Hopefully, he can get his confidence back up. Uh, and overall, I think he's been solid so far this season. I don't see Vanny Sartini going away from his preferred center back pairing. So I'm going to say Ranko Veselinovic and Tristan Blackman start once again. And then I think you probably see Vancouver's 
top choice fullbacks at the moment as well, which would be Javane Brown on the right, Ryan Raposo on the left. I, I feel like that's just the back four that Vanny's most confident in. So um, I, I could just see them going there. Now in the midfield, I, I'm, we're going to suppose that Kubas is good to go, especially because they have the week off afterwards. So if he's, if he's nursing something a bit, he's, he's got some time to recover. So Kubas at the six, and then Julian Gressel, and I'm going to say Ali Ahmed as, as an eight, because uh, I think he can do it. I, I want to see more of him in that role. Um, you know, you could always play around, drop Ryan Gold back. Uh, that's always an option, but I'm going to say Ali Ahmed in the midfield. And then, gosh, I really, really hope this is the case. Ryan Gold and Pedro Vite in those dual number 10s. And then Brian White up front. Uh, you, you could certainly mess around with Betcher and White starting together. Um, you know, and again, if Ryan Gold were to drop back into the midfield, maybe that opens up different options. But ultimately, I really like the front three of White. Vite and Gold, and without shots in the lineup, I think you throw in Ali Ahmed, and that that that's a platform for success. Not only, I think, defensively solid, good in transition, but also the ability to hold possession and maybe uh, you know take it to Austin, put them under a bit of pressure as well. Yeah, I mean that's pretty strong. I don't have much difference. I just do think that's worth noting to attack this from my perspective and then Vanny's perspective, just because it's uh, always two, you know, different things in that regard. I mean, Takoka and goal, Rice itself and Penn, the back four, the back four is a bit of an interesting one. Cause I do feel just seeing that Luis Martins didn't see the field at all. I just feel like he'll be thrust in there by Vanny again. I probably uh, wouldn't be making the same choice. So, you know, what I'd see is maybe from left to right would be something along the lines of Raposo, Veselinovic, Blackman, Laborda, but I do feel like what Vanny uh, will throw will be that, but with Martin slotting in for a post, so because he went 90. Um, that's just what I can imagine Vanny doing, so we'll, we'll see there. Midfield three, I think it's going to be Burhalter, it's going to be Gressel, and I think Ahmed, just because it's a road game, it makes more sense than throwing like Galden at the eight. Uh, so I see Ahmed, that doesn't change from my perspective or Vanny's perspective of what might happen, and then the front three, I think uh, I'd probably see Vite Gold White, but Betcher didn't play at all. White went 90. I do wonder if we get a road start for Betcher and then maybe White comes on in the second half if if the if Austin's really trying to mark Betcher out and he's maybe struggling to find those spaces. So that's just something I think basically the lineup is very similar to yours, but from Vanny's perspective, I do see potential starts for Betcher and Martins based on uh, some of the lineup decisions from uh, midweek. Okay, that's interesting. The one thing I want to pick up on there, because it's making me think about it as we're talking, is what do you think about the differences, you know, kind of strengths and weaknesses in terms of matchup between starting Simon Betcher and starting Brian White? Because, I, like, I wonder in the – obviously, Betcher can put defense under a lot of pressure by making those making those runs and maybe opening up space for teammates. But I just feel like maybe because Austin is so depleted and because Brian White can hold up the ball really well, he's a little bit more of a physical presence. I don't know if I was managing, I would just maybe want White out there for the, even if it's only for 55, 60, you know, to kind of wear down the Austin defense a little bit. And then you, you open up some more space for Betcher as the match goes on. I'm just curious for your thoughts, how those two strikers might 
be able to expose Austin in different ways and, and what the right decision is in terms of a starter. Cause I know white went 90, but I guess I'm maybe playing a little more into the fact that they're going to have a week off after this. So if guys are running a little bit lower on energy, that's, that's not a huge deal. So I guess that's why I have white and Cubas in there. Yeah. And I mean, on the flip side, the, there's a good argument to, to be fair for Betcher. Cause you look at the, the Portland game, like he was going up against Zuprich and McGraw and they, <laughs> they were handsy. They were physical. They were just, it was, you know, it was a bit of a WWE out there. It felt like at times just in terms of better and what, what he was dealing with. And you look at Austin, it was potential. It defense. was like, they don't it really... was like a, it was like a wide receiver who's getting like press coverage <laughs> from a six, three two ten corner and it's just hand fighting off the line like i i noticed betcher he's trying to make those runs and he's he's like he's bobbing and weaving and shoving his way through traffic and he just never quite got unleashed the way you wanted so the way you described that i thought was was great so and that's just worth noting because austin again natural center backs have, have been an issue recently last game they started alex ring who's not a you know not a center back he's not the most physical aerial presence uh, and then they started Vison, who is a natural center back, um, you know, 25, a decent height, you know, but he's also not going to, at least from what I've seen, doesn't strike me as someone who's going to be out there, you know, going going rugby, rugby mode on Betcher. So I do wonder, it could be a, a game where his just ability to find space could be better served than it was against Portland. You can start him and then maybe you come in white as the battering ram at the end, where if it's really not working and, you know, it, it's, it's, you just need that 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 brute force, then you go for white. So that's something where I'm almost on the flip side in that where I think this game you just looking, it could suit, you know, it could suit better, especially look, Colorado's coming up. They're a team that also again, I think of guys like Lala Sabubakar. I think of some of these other center backs they have, it's gonna be a little handsier. It's gonna be a little more of a duel, whereas you want a guy like White holding up the ball, attracting those physical duels, whereas Betcher, it feels like he can maybe almost ghost around with these, uh, you know, these Austin center backs who've struggled with that. Like, look at that game where Violette scored three against them. Like, they were just struggling to track these sorts of, fat, you know, Fords who were able to find those soft pockets. And the guy like Betcher could thrive in that role. Okay, I like the I like the Violette comparison because yeah, Betcher is more at his best a, a pure poacher. And that was they scored po- poachers goals against Austin. So hundred percent. All right, you're you're selling me selling me on it a little bit, but I think it's nice that either way the Whitecaps are probably going to play both those guys and be able to do a bit of the yin and yang in terms of striker against Austin. So I, I like I like that for them, and and obviously if they're looking for a goal in the second half, they could keep both of them on together as well. Um, all right, does that does that bring us to predictions then for this one? So yeah, I'll I'll hop in first for predictions. I mean, let's dive right in. Usually you hop in first, so I'll get that that first look. <laughs> it's one where I'd like to be saying a white caps win on the road based on everything we've broken down, but they're gonna have to buy a bit of grace period. They're gonna have to win games on the road before I start throwing those predictions around at this moment. So I'm gonna go just for a one-one draw. I mean, not a great result ultimately, I think, based on what we've broken down and what we've seen, but I think that's just it feels like one of those where low event Vancouver on the road. It, it could be a bit of a, a weird watch at times. Yeah, I was I was struggling with this because my mind was doing the same same dance as you where a lot of what we've been talking about can point to a white caps win, but logic dictates that oh well it might end up being one of these low events draws. 
Alex, what was the stat again about Vancouver's road form and and the the amount of wins over the however many consecutive matches? Who wins in their last twenty three road games? In their last, they haven't won outright on the road since June of last year. All right. Well, I'll say this: make it three in the last twenty four. Wow. I'm 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 just I'm se- I'm selling on the state of this Austin FC team at the moment. I feel like they're reeling, and I feel like the Whitecaps, despite despite the Champions League, are really actually feeling themselves in terms of MLS form. And I think they're really going to be keen to go into the bye week with uh, with a big boost of momentum. Julian Gressel, I feel like Ryan Gauld, we haven't talked about it much, but it's been quiet from Gauld recently. He's going to pop up and have a goal and assist sooner or later. Um, yeah, I just, they're not allowing too much defensively. Uh, I, I like the way this team is trending at the moment. And so I, something's got to break eventually. I feel like they got to pick up some road momentum. So I'm going to go for a, a classic 2-1 on the road. I'm going to say, yeah, Ryan Gauld was a goal and an assist and maybe maybe they pick up one from a set piece where, where they have been dangerous. And I think that's another area where no natural center backs, that's a big weakness, right? Like who's commanding uh, the set piece defense for Austin and, uh, and Vancouver with Gressel has been, been so good in that department. So yeah, why not? I, I think they can pick up a victory here on the road. And then uh, we'd be feeling pretty good about this white caps team uh, headed into the bye week. Hundred percent. Well, we'll look to see if they can break that that road curse or whatever you want uh, to call it. But quickly before we we round out uh, this episode, just want to throw in a quick note for for the Whitecaps FC two because may as well dive into the Whitecaps uh, second team. They've been rolling out to eight out of nine points. Of course, as someone asked me on Twitter when I posted that, how is that possible? Eight points. <laughs> Shout out to MLS Next Pro having penalty shootouts for draws, which the Whitecaps won. But look, so far so good. They got a late win against Portland in their opener. Coop, Antoine Couplin scored the 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 winner. Cameron Habibula scored a banger of a free kick, had an assist. Then they went to LAFC. It sounded like it was a you know pretty tough game. Uh, Isaac Palmer had a mistake to to forget, but then Cameron Habibula scored another great goal. Um, and in the end, they went on penalties after after a draw. Then recently, they just went supernova against North Texas. That one was surprising. That's Dal- FC Dallas's second team. Usually, I mean, they obviously lost Pamaduka as a head coach, but they've got so much talent. Whitecaps won 4-1 on the on the road there. Levante Johnson scored his first goal. Antoine Couplin, another assist. Johnson also had an assist. Gloria Amanda scored his first goal. Uh, Finn Linder, uh, which is an 18-year-old Canadian-New Zealand dual, dual national center back. Canadians will like that. Scored as well, so... You know the kid. The kids are rolling. They're scoring goals. They're having fun. They're rotating their squad every week with some of these new players. Like lots to like there for from Whitecaps too. Well, what they were up three nil inside twenty minutes or something crazy like that yep. too. It was yeah, yeah. They were just all over North Texas and and yeah, as you said, I mean that's a that's not a brand new academy. Um, no. It's just just getting their stuff together. This is a, a, a you know one of the most well established academies in MLS who's going to have a, a deep pipeline of guys to choose from. So, I mean, I would say Vancouver's Vancouver's done a really sneaky good job of amassing some talent. Uh, Coupland for me has looked he tremendous looks. so far. Um, yeah. I mean that the, the Croatian team that, that let him go, you have to, you have to wonder what was going on there, but uh, 
great, great for the Whitecaps to be able to profit off of that. And uh, yeah, the long-term Cam Habibula, Antoine Kupla, and dual number 10 vision, not, not looking terrible at the moment, but obviously a lot of MLS next pro left to be played. Also tremendous. I, I will give a shout out, you know, credit where credit is due. The, the coverage of the next pro league has improved. The accessibility has improved this season. And uh, that's been really fun too, to just the uh, quality everyone... has improved watching the game on, on Apple that I, cause I watched a decent chunk of that North Texas game. I was like, Oh, I could actually watch this. I might start watching a lot more than I, you know, last year I did catch what I can, but sometimes the streams, it felt like you, you weren't gaining much by watching just cause you're trying to spend out the time guessing which pixel is who. Exactly. And I've, I've just found it a lot easier to, to just dive into random, like other MLS teams. Oh, these, these two academies are matching up. I'll, I'll check this out for 15, 20 minutes. And so it's, it's been really good so far this year. And yeah, hopefully the white caps, the baby caps can continue their success and, and, and we'll be watching on for sure. For sure. And I guess really last note, I mean, busy week coming up um, in CPL that kicks off this week. So just stay tuned for that Pacific versus Vancouver at Langford at Starlight Stadium. I'll be there for that one. Uh, doing duty for CPL. So excited for that. Should be a good game. Of course, a lot of other great games this weekend. Um, Forge Cavalry, which always a, a blast, uh, of course, on the menu. And then, of course, next week, Canadian Championship is back. No white caps. So just remember next week when that pops in, don't look for the white caps. But TSS Rovers hosting Valor and Rovers still looking to pack the stadium. So if you're looking something to do on Wednesday, I'll also be at that. Uh, that game at Swangar, which I wouldn't want to miss for anything. Uh, Rovers looking like they have a legit chance to to beat Valor and, you know, a few other good games sprinkled a, a across the offerings. If I'm not mistaken, Pacific also hosting uh, on Thursday. Might also try to do double dipping and go out to that one on their Canadian Championship tie against Cavalry. So lots of tidy matchups coming up on both those fronts to, to keep an eye out. Yeah, great points. I'd say, you know, keep Keep your eyes peeled a little bit for some CPL uh, and the Canadian Championship content on the third sub. So we'll be we'll be looking to sprinkle some of that in. And in terms of Can Champ, yeah, shout out to TSS Rovers for hosting that upcoming matchup. I'd encourage everyone to buy a ticket, support. Think you can also gift the ticket. You can donate. You can get involved. TSS on the hook for a lot of the ho- costs hosting that matchup. Wild. Which, I mean, I understand that rules of the competition are rules of the competition, but uh, it's a tough ask. So, yeah, if there's just any way you can show your support, I would definitely encourage you to do that. And uh, looking forward to taking in all that great Canadian football over the next little bit. And uh, we'll be back again soon with more. Yeah, so just, you know, looking forward to that. And, and again, watch out on the third sub. Watch out for the podcast because we'll be, we'll be diving into some of that stuff. Yeah, for sure. And especially next week, we've got a bye week coming up. You know, buys us a little time to to dive into all that. So we'll definitely be keeping your ears fresh with that. But I think on that note, unless Sam uh, interjects with anything, that's all we have for this week. Just a little catch up after just the busyness of everything. It's Everything's heating up. So excited for that. You can find me on Twitter at Alex Kongeruzik. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll shout it out to, to Sam with the, the shout out for... Uh, everything going on at the third sub i mean shout out to the 86 forever team that's come over seamlessly on the third sub but loving reading after all the work that's been done there and it's just exciting because uh things are expanding and growing uh quickly there and uh, lots to like there so it's been fun uh, to have that partnership over the last uh, few weeks finally starting to blossom after all the planning
Absolutely. You can find me, as always, at Samuel underscore Robo on Twitter at the thethirdsub.ca. You can find our podcast at thirdsubpod on Twitter, the third sub on Instagram. We're still working some stuff out in terms of just like URLs, social media, getting everything dialed in. But uh, if there's any changes on that front, and when, when there is changes on that front, we'll be sure to let everyone know. It'll be well communicated. So uh, you shouldn't have any problem finding our content. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and we'll be back again soon.